let us pray. Our most eternal and everlasting Father, we are thankful this evening. Thankful for your mercy and kindness. For enabling us to assemble, to study a portion of your word. We recognize that the human mind is incapable of perceiving anything that is spiritual apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So it is a request that the Holy Spirit will provide us the concentration that we need to hear precisely what you have for us this evening. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. We're still in Exodus chapter 16 verses 13 through 36. I'm going to begin reading at verse 17 to verse 20. It reads, The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the Omer, he who gathered much did not have too much. And he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning. But it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Now the main message of the major section of Exodus 16, 1 through Chapter 17, verse 7, that we have been considering is that be careful about grumbling against your spiritual leaders, since doing so is the same as grumbling against God. In our last study, we considered the first instruction of the Lord through Moses regarding the strange substance of food. Now, Israel found on the surface of the of the uh, camp in their desert where they were staying. Now this first instruction is concerned with gathering of the substance and the quantity each person should eat. Now we noted that the Lord miraculously controlled this quantity so that no one had surplus or lacked what is needed to feed the family. Now the quantity of the substance each person should eat in a day was an omer. Now in the in dry measure, an omer is between 3.4 to 3.9 pounds in a day. Now it seems to me that if God limited Israel to this amount of food daily, that we should rethink of the portion of food we eat every day. Now again, some of this, as I make these comments, as I'm also going to uh, emphasize, you have to remember, as I've said many times, whether you are careful about what you eat, or you are sick, you go to see a physician, now, all of those are simply to make you comfortable. None of it will prolong your life on this planet. It is said. So, 
When we talk about being careful with your food, it does not mean that it's going to extend your life. It just means that you are going to probably have a better uh, healthy life on this planet, knowing fully well, and some people don't realize it's not when you pack that pounds that it may come back to you. It may come down during the road. Anyway, so here's the thing. If you do not uh, walk or do the kind of walk that involves exercise or physical strength, you should equate yourself to Israel that we are uh, not told of doing strenuous work uh, daily except collecting the strange substance for their food. Now, if you do not walk, uh, do strenuous work, then you should state or your state really parallels that of Israel so that the portion of food the Lord gave them a day should be about what you eat daily. I'm saying that although we will probably not weigh the food we eat every day, we should ensure that if we eat three times a day, that the food in our plates should not weigh more than a pound, more than one and a quarter pound each time. But those who eat only twice a day should ensure that the food in their plate does not weigh more than two pounds a day. Now let me be clear though. The Bible does not say that you should eat certain weight of food each day. Let's be clear about that. Now here is the thing that most people will say, well show you that in the Bible to me. Well the Bible is full of truths that are hidden, that need to be pulled out. Now you ask yourself, why do we need to know that each of them had to eat an omega day? Why is that necessary? Just think about it. Not all Israel said, well, they had food. But God was precise. Which means that when we study these things, we have to think about the application. So that is why I am deducing the guideline from God's limitation to Israel regarding the quantity of the substance of food that they eat each day and that what they eat each day should guide us so that you can eyeball what you eat every day and see if you eat more than four pounds a day. If you do, you overfeed in that body. Depending on what you do every day anyway. So here, the, the thing I'm saying is, God has given these things to us. So that by studying them, we drive the correct applications that will help us in our daily day uh, activities. So my point is simply this. If God limited Israel to approximately four pounds of food every day. Now since he knows what is best for us. That is our bodies. He knows it. It seems to me that we should 
for healthy eating, try to monitor the quantity of food that we eat so we stay within the, that range every day. And of course, you know, I've argued before and stayed for most time, you should eat two, twice a day, depending on what you do. Because when Elijah wasn't doing it, that's a pattern. And here we have a pattern. So these things are good for us. That's part of the reason we study the Bible. So we can apply what's in it uh, to help us. Because you can say, I don't know what I'm talking about. Well, that's fine. Suit yourself with whatever you think is good for you. But I'm giving you a guideline based on biblical truth. That the God of heaven who created our bodies knows exactly what our bodies need. And so if he limited these people to that four pounds a day, I think that it's fitting for us to do the same thing. Anyway, this aside, the instruction the Lord gave to Israel through Moses regarding their gathering the specific quantity of the strange substance for uh, food and Israel's compliance led to the lesson we stated in our last study. If you recall, this lesson is that obedience to God's word leads to the exact blessing in his plan for us. So we proceed now to consider the second instruction and the related lesson. Now the second instruction of the Lord to Israel through Moses concerns the treatment of the leftover of the food that is prepared for consumption. Now this instruction that we'll get to shortly was obeyed by the majority, but not by all, leading to an undesirable consequence. Now, based on the consequence of disobedience of the second instruction by some, we state then a second lesson that we learn from the second instruction of the Lord to Israel through Moses. Now, this lesson is that disobedience of God's word may bring a surprising or unexpected consequences. A surprising or unexpected consequence. We know for sure that when we disobey God, we're going to pay, pay for it, one way or the other. But what we're saying is, sometimes we may disobey Him now, we don't pay for it until 10 years down the road. But sometimes we, we pay it right away. It all depends what it, what it is and what he, his plan calls for. But my turn is here is that if you disobey, it may bring some surprising or unexpected consequence. Now this lesson will become clearer as we consider the second instruction of the Lord uh, to Israel through Moses regarding the treatment of the leftover food that is prepared from the strange substance the Lord provided Israel for their food. Now, by the way, the food is known as manna, but I kept, or I keep on using the expression strange substance because the name manna has not yet been given to the substance as we know, and we know later, uh, it will be given later on. 
So that is why I keep using that expression, strange substance. That's all it is at this point. Until we get to where the name is actually uh, called manna. So be that as it may, Moses resumes relaying the Lord's instruction to Israel as it concerns the handling of food that is prepared from the strange substance the Lord gave to Israel. Now we say that Moses continued with relaying the Lord's instruction to Israel because of the Hebrew particle that begins verse 19. That is translated then in the NIV. And the word then is translated from a Hebrew particle that is often translated and in our English versions as it is done here in verse 19 in such English versions as the English Standard Version and the New Revised Standard Version that begin verse 19 with the word and. And this notwithstanding, the Hebrew particle has several other usages. Now in our passage, there are at least three possible interpretations of the Hebrew particle. It could be interpreted as stating an instruction that is sequential to the first instruction, in which case it may be translated then. Another interpretation is to take the particle as introducing a new aspect of the instruction of the law to Israel through Moses so that the particle may be left untranslated. Now this is probably the interpretation adopted by some of our English versions that did not translate the particle. Still, another interpretation takes the, part, uh, the particle to indicate resumption of discourse that was interrupted by something else, in which case it may be translated and then, and then. Now, none of the English versions I consulted reflected this third interpretation. Now, it is probably really the third interpretation that Moses intended since that will encompass, will include the translation then. Now, the reason for our interpretation, though, is that after Moses issued the first instruction in verse 16, he digressed in verses 17 and 18 to elaborate on the limitation placed on Israel and how they should respond or how they responded and God's implicit counter-response in ensuring that no one had more or less the quantity of the substance needed for their family. Thus, it makes sense to understand that Moses, in verse 19, returned from the digression given in the two verses to continue to relay God's instruction to Israel. Because of that digression, I contend that we should then translate and then, showing that he's now resuming something. Now, there's another reason, though, for accepting that Moses had resumed relaying of God's instruction to Israel after a short digression. It is in the next sentence of Exodus 16 verse 19 that we're studying. It says, Moses said to them. Now this sentence indicates that what Moses was about to state is exactly what God said to him. 
thousand, the sentence is similar to that he used to introduce the first instruction in verse 16. Because he said, this is what the Lord has commanded, or more literally, this is the word that Yahweh commanded. So we are saying that the sentence of verse 19, Moses said to them, enables the hearer or the reader to recognize that Moses was now returning to the instruction he received from the Lord to pass on to Israel. Now the clear instruction of the Lord through uh, Moses to Israel is the portion of the food prepared from the strange substance or any portion of it should not be left overnight as in the command of Exodus 16 verse 19. Again it says, no one is to keep any of it until morning. Now, the instruction is pretty straightforward. See, there's no exception to the lost instruction as that phrase, no one implies. No one. Now you see, we humans often make exceptions either explicitly or implicitly to human laws and instructions. Now you can uh, see that in the way laws are applied in this country. For example, if you are wealthy and popular, the law is applied to you different from those who are not. Now no one should even pretend that the law is applied equally to everyone. Not even pretend that. Now many times, even in this country that prides uh, itself as a law and other society, we have such things as no one is above the law. But if you are powerful, you are treated in a way that implies you are above the law. That is human, not God. The powerful get away with things that those who are without power will never get away with. However, when it comes to God's law or command, no one is above it. And we truly mean no one, absolutely no one. In effect, when God issues a command to us, no one is exempted. Now this was the case when the Lord said to Israel, through Moses regarding the food prepared from the strange substance or any portion of the raw material in that command when he says, no one is to keep any of it until morning. Now, the word keep here is translated from a Hebrew word that in the Hebrew form, uh, the word is used in our passage, it could mean to leave as an instruction given to Israel regarding what is left over following their uh, first celebration of the Passover, as we read in Exodus chapter 12, verse 10. Exodus chapter 12, verse 10. 
Exodus chapter 12 verse 10 reads, Do not leave any of it till morning. That word leave is the same Hebrew word translated keep. Say, do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. Now the word may mean to make abundant. To make abundant. As it is used though, to describe one of the blessings that will come to Israel for obedience to the terms of their covenant with God as stated in Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 11. Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 11. It reads, The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your ground, in the land he swore to your forefathers to give you. Here, it's really to make abundant, but it's translated, grant you abundant prosperity. However, the Hebrew word simply may mean to live over. As it is used to describe the bread left over after Ruth ate with birds, by his invitation, of course, that was extended to her, as reported in Ruth chapter 2, verse 14. Ruth chapter 2 verse 14. Ruth chapter 2 verse 14. It reads, At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down, with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some leftover. Now the Hebrew word also can mean to spare, as the Lord's promise to spare some of Israelites from the judgment he was going to bring to them, according to Ezekiel chapter 12 verse 16. Ezekiel chapter 12 verse 16. It is, but I was spare, that's a Hebrew word, I was spare a few of them from the sword, famine and plague, so that in the nations where they go, they may acknowledge all their detestable practices. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Now in our passage of Exodus chapter 16 verse 19, the word has a sense of to have left over. That is, to have something remain or be left over. Thus then the instruction of the Lord to Israel through Moses is that no portion of this strange substance should be left overnight, whether cooked 
uncooked. None should be left overnight. Now the instruction of Exodus 16 verse 19 when it says, No one is to keep any of it until morning. It's intended though to test Israel in at least two related ways. It is a test of whether Israel will obey God's word. Now remember that Moses had conveyed to Israel that the source of the instruction he was about to give is the Lord, the God of Israel. Because he said in the passage we are studying, chapter 16, verse 16, he said, this is what the Lord has commanded. So there's no doubt he wasn't giving his opinion. It's what God commanded. Now this being the case then, the instruction is intended to test Israel to see if they would obey God's instruction as the Lord previously of course had informed Moses in Exodus chapter 16 that we're studying, look at verse 4. Exodus 16 that we're studying, look at verse 4. Verse 4 again reads, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. So, that's the first thing. In order to test if Israel will follow God's instruction. Another related test of this instruction of Exodus 16 verse 19 when it says, No one is to keep any of it until morning, is to see if the Israelites will trust the Lord to provide for them daily. That's the second test. Whether they're going to believe that the Lord is going to, or trust Him that He's going to provide for them daily. For you see, if no portion of the strange substance is to be left overnight, then that means that the Lord will provide fresh supplies to them every day. That's what it means. Now, those, I mean, you see, we enjoy, no doubt, uh, there are some we enjoy these things. But those things that we enjoy are in one way poisoning our bodies, but we don't know that. There's a reason for all this, but I know we, you know, today it's almost more realistic to eat everything fresh and, go, and don't, don't put any preservative and all that. I mean, it's almost, you know, difficult. That doesn't mean it doesn't happen in other places in the world, but they still do. So, there must be a reason. And all of this, God is thinking about us. Even though we don't, we don't think so. I mean, we have all this confidence, you know, processed food and all that. Yes, that's good. Except, what I'm saying, there's a downside to all that. So here, they are to get fresh food every day. Everything be fresh, every day. Now, anyway, so in this case though, the instruction tests if they will really believe 
that the Lord then will continue to be faithful in caring for them. That's really the test. Are you going to trust that the Lord is going to be faithful caring for them? Now you may think that this instruction of the Lord to Israel has nothing to do with you. But you will be wrong. It has everything to do with all of us. Now the instruction given to Israel is tantamount to saying to them that they should not worry about the next day because the Lord will take care of them. Now we we're all prone to worrying for all kinds of things. You may say, well, I don't worry about the food I'm going to eat here. Are you not worried about your old age? Whether you have enough money to survive and all that. Are you not worried about that? Or some other things. We constantly find something to worry about on this planet. But the point though, I'm stressing is, the instruction given to Israel applies to us. We're not supposed to worry about Every any day. Now, this, as far as I can tell, it is the same thing that the Lord Jesus Christ had instructed us in the Sermon on the Mount about not worrying for anything. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. Matthew, again, Israel, God is telling them, don't worry about anything because I'm going to take care of you every day. And the same thing has been uh, advanced to us through the sermon of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here he says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So this command, as well as that issue to Israel, should then cause us to remember that God is faithful to his word. He cares for us, so we should recognize and confess the same thing that the lamenter confessed about God in Lamentations chapter 3, verses 23. It is yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So if we recognize that the Lord is faithful and compassionate 
and that his compassions are renewed, so to say every day, we should not worry about the future. Now that aside, the instruction of the Lord to Israel about his strange substance for food is that no portion of it should be left overnight. Now as we have said, it is a clear and straightforward instruction of the Lord that should be obeyed. Now you will expect that every Israelite will obey such a simple instruction since they have observed the great power of God not only in the dividing of the Red Sea so that they cross on dry land but also in his provision of the drinking water that they lacked. But that was not the case. Yeah, really, it is unfortunate and sad that among believers, not everyone that hears the word of God obeys or carries out whatever instruction that is expanded happens to be said by a pastor. Many, many Christians especially in this country. They hear all that. They say, that's his opinion. Whatever it is, they just brush it aside. And you just wonder, what, what are they learning there? What is the purpose? So it is to recognize that while some believers will obey the instruction, others will not. That Exodus 16 verse 20 begins with the word in the NIV, however, however, now that word, however, is translated from the same Hebrew particle. We stated in verse 19, it's often translated and in our English versions, although it has several other usages. In verse 20, it is used as a marker of contrast, so that it may be translated but, or a synonym, as is done here, in our English versions. So it is used to convey a contrast between what some of the Israelites did to what should be expected of all the Israelites. So anyway, again, it is a sad reality that some of us will hear the teaching of the word of God or instruction from the scripture but ignore what we had. It is this attitude that was reflected among some of the Israelites as we read in Exodus 16 verse 20. Again it says, some of them paid no attention to Moses. Now the expression paid attention of the NIV is really translated from a Hebrew word with a primary meaning of to hear sounds with the ear. However, it has several other meanings. For example, the word may mean to agree as the word is used to describe the response of Joseph's brothers to the suggestion of Judah to sell him instead of killing him, according to Genesis chapter 37, verse 27. Genesis chapter 37 verse 27. 
It is. Come. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hand on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brother agreed. That's our Hebrew word translated paid attention or paid no attention. With, I mean, paid attention. Now, the Hebrew word may mean to listen. As in the response, the Lord promised to Moses will be true of the Israel's elders to uh, his message to them through Moses. As we read in Exodus chapter 3 verse 18. Exodus chapter 3 verse 18. It is Exodus chapter 3 verse 18 reads, the elders of Israel will listen to you. That's a Hebrew word, Shema. Shema. Yes, listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Now, the Hebrew word may also mean to obey. To obey. As it is used to describe what should be Israel's response to the word of God recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 30. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 30. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 30 reads, When you are in distress, and all these things have happened to you, then in later days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey Him. That word obey is still the same Hebrew word, Shema. Now the verbal phrase in obey Him is literally, hear His voice, or listen to His voice. Now the word may mean to heed, to heed, that is, to pay attention to or take notice of, as the word is used to describe the right response to correction that one receives. In Proverbs chapter 15 verse 32. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 32. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 32 reads, He who ignores discipline despises himself, but whoever he is concerned a correction gains understanding. I say he who ignores discipline. That word discipline may mean instruction or correction. In other words, you don't like yourself if you, after you've been corrected, you don't pay attention to it. Or you hear instruction, 
You don't pay attention to it, then you don't like yourself. That's what he's saying. Now, when the word is used with God, though, he conveys several responses as a result of him hearing what is communicated by humans. So, he may hear and forgive, as in the prayer of Solomon during the temple dedication, as we read in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 30. First Kings chapter eight verse thirty. First Kings chapter eight verse thirty reads Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel. When they pray toward this place, hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. So you hear and forgive. That's when you're dealing with God. Now, God may hear in the sense of being aware of something and be angry, as in his response to Israel's idolatry, when for our own purposes, we are told he was aware of it, as stated in Psalm 78, verse 59. Psalm 78, verse 59. Psalm 78, verse 59. It is, when God had them, he was very angry. He rejected Israel completely. Of course, sometimes God will hear in case of prayer and not respond with an action because of sin, as we may gather from his assertion through prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 15. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 15. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 15 reads, When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. No, because of the sinful life, he said, I'm not going to pay it. And I hear what you say, but I'm not going to do anything about it. Now, in our passage of Exodus 16, verse 20, the word has the meaning of to heed. To heed. That is to pay close attention to and usually respond in conformity to what one hears. Not just the, you hear, but you conform to what you hear. Now, the Hebrew word that we said then has the meaning of to heed is joined to a negative so that Moses intended to convey that some 
Israelite did not heed to what he said. In effect, we can say that some did not agree with Moses. Or what Moses said as a result, they ignored him. Or they did not obey his instruction. Now, Although, we read in uh, Exodus 16 verse 20, some of them paid no attention to Moses. In reality, it was the Lord or the lost word that they did not pay attention to. Since Moses is nothing but a lost, I mean the lost agent of communication of his instruction to Israel as pastors or teachers of the word of God are agents of communicating God's word to believers. Therefore, when some in Israel did not heed to what Moses said, they indeed rebelled against the Lord, not Moses. Same thing, when pastors clearly teach the scripture, not their opinion, and you hear it and you ignore it, it is not the pastor, it is the Lord that you ignore it. Now to ensure then, there's no misunderstanding of what it means that some, of, some in Israel did not heed or pay attention to God's word through Moses, we read an explanation of what it means, or what it means not to heed to the word of God through Moses in the next sentence of Exodus 16 verse 20 where we're studying. Look at the next sentence. They kept part of it until morning. Now, the part kept could be cooked or uncooked portion of a strange substance, although it is probably the uncooked that uh, Moses might have made. Now, so keeping some of the strange substance not only indicates that those who did so did not trust the Lord enough that he's going to take care of them, but there is also a sense that they short-chained themselves in that they probably did not eat the quantity of food they needed since they wanted to keep some overnight because they were afraid the Lord might not provide for them the next day. Now, if this was the case, those who did so have, in a sense, suffered a consequence of disobedience of God's word. There's always, in this case, I mean, they didn't really get enough food. They left a little, uh, some portion because they think, oh, there may not be some tomorrow. I better keep some. So let me not eat all I need to eat. So the law who gave them the exact portion, they didn't go uh, through with it. So that means they should change themselves. That's consequence of disobedience. Now be that then as it may, the lesson then that we have stated is that disobedience of God's word may bring a surprising or unexpected consequence. Now the unexpected consequence of the disobedience of some of the Israelites is that the strange substance quickly decayed so as to be smelly as conveyed in the sentence of Exodus 16.20. Look at what it says. But it was full of maggots and began to smell. Now the word maggots here 
is translated from a Hebrew word that may mean warm. As in the punishment the Lord inflicted or will inflict on Israel for failure to keep his laws as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 39. Can put something in Isaiah. I'm coming back to it though. Deuteronomy 28 verse 39. It reads, Deuteronomy 28 verse 39 reads, You will plant vineyards and cultivate them, but you will not drink the wine or, grape or gather the grapes. Because worms, that's a Hebrew word translated by God, but here worms, we eat them. The word, the Hebrew word may mean scarlet, scarlet, as it is used to compare sin in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18. Isaiah Chapter 1, verse 18. This is an invitation. Say, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, the same Hebrew word translated, my God, yes, translated scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. In our passage, though, of Exodus 16, verse 20, it really means warmth. Warm. Hence, the strange substance, the strange substance, left overnight, became warmed as to cause it to give bad odor, as in the clause when it said, But it was full of maggots and began to smell. Now, the expression began to smell is translated from a Hebrew word. That means to stink or to smell, as it is used to describe what happened to Nile River during the first plague of judgment of water turning into blood in Egypt, as stated in Exodus chapter 7, verse 21. Exodus. Chapter 7, verse 21 reads, The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. Now, so, the word may figuratively be used to, to mean to be hated, to be hated, or to be offensive, as that is the sense of the Hebrew word used to describe what the Ammonites recognized regarding David uh, being displaced with them as they mistreated his emissaries to them. In Second Samuel chapter 10, verse 6. Second Samuel.
Second Samuel chapter 10 verse 6 reads, When the Ammonites realized that they had become a stench in David's nostrils, they hired 20,000 Aramean foot soldiers from Beth, Rehob, and Zobah, as well as the king of Mecca with a thousand men and also 12,000 men from Tob. Now that sentence, they had become a stench in David's nostril, is to be understood to mean either that the Ammonites have become offensive to David or that they have become hated. Either way, now in our passage though of Exodus 16 verse 20, the Hebrew word is used in the literal sense of smelling badly and offensively. Now this means that the tents of those who disobeyed the Lord's instruction through Moses became full of vast odor that certainly made them uncomfortable. Now, in any case, we should recognize that when we are a part of a community, that our disobedience does not only affect us, but the community we belong to. So we are saying that if you are a member of a local church, that your disobedience to the word of God does not only affect you, but the local church that you belong to. Although it may not be that obvious to you or to others, but it is difficult for our disobedience not to affect others. Very difficult. Now, because it's, one is easier to see if you're married, yeah, the first person that gets the brunt of it is your spouse. I mean, you get it, the next person will be your spouse. And then you move on to your children. Now, why do I say this though? You may ask. Well, it is because of Moses' reaction to the disobedience of some of the Israelites, as we read in the last clause of Exodus 16, verse 20. Look at what it says. So, Moses was angry with them. Now, to understand why we stated that this clause, so Moses was angry with them, indicates that one person's disobedience affects the community to which the individuals belong. We have to ask the question then, how did Moses know that some of the Israelites disobeyed God's instruction to them? How did they know that? But back to what I'm emphasizing. Whenever we disobey, it affects the community that we belong to as believers. Now if you project it a little bit larger, do you know why Christians are no longer respected today? It's because too many of us live in hypocritical manner. We say one thing and we do another thing. And this, the unbelievers, they, they pick on, on that. They see a whole lot of Christians. They say the Bible you know, tells them something, but they live a different way. They even may tell people 
And yet they live the opposite. So all that affects the Christian community. It affects the, the church of Christ on this planet. Now to understand again, that's what I'm asking is, how did Moses know this? Well, we should first observe that the word so, that begins the clause, is intended to convey the result of the disobedience of some of the Israelites. You see, the word so is from a Hebrew particle that we indicated is often translated and, as it is done in this clause in many of our English versions. However, the sense of the particle is that of introducing another result of the disobedience of some of the Israelites. Now that aside, the question though, that helps us to understand uh, why we stated that Moses being angry indicates that disobedience on the part of the member of the, that particular community affects others is simply that question, how did Moses know about the bad smell due to the rotten strange substance for Israel's food? Now, so a person could answer that Moses, or that someone, told Moses about it. Or that those who had experienced this informed him. Now, while this is possible, but it's unlikely because when believers disobey God, they usually do not want others to know, especially if their disobedience has impact on others as well. They don't want people to know that. Furthermore, if someone that was near the tent of a disobedient Israelite told Moses, that would mean that the smell went beyond the tent of that individual. Anyway, based on this explanation, it seems more logical that the smell from the tents of those who disobeyed the Lord's instruction spread throughout the camp so that others smell the bad odor. So if this is the case, then our point is established in that the disobedience of some in the camp affected others. So the principle though that we have stated is one that is demonstrated in that incident of Israel suffering military defeat because of the sin of Achan during the Exodus. So anyway, I could go and show you that this principle holds uh, true as reflected in the scripture. But we will not do so at this point since we've actually done that in a past study. Meanwhile, we should simply recognize that Moses' anger was a justified one. He was angry. That was justified. Now, he was angry because of sin or disobedience of some in Israel's community. Now, we should also be angry when we are or when we see sin displayed by others. We should be angry. There's nothing wrong with that. My point really is that there's nothing wrong 
with being angry if the reason is a human being's sinfulness. But we, of course, should be careful that we do not sin because of being angry as per instruction of Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 simply says, In your anger do not sin. In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are three angry. So I leave you this evening then with the lesson that we have stated which is disobedience of God's word may bring a surprising or unexpected consequence. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God the Holy Spirit will challenge us to be mindful of consequences that may come through disobedience. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen.